Hey everybody, hope you've had a good week and we're going to go ahead and dive into this week's podcast. So I believe that women are highly underrepresented in HBCU bands, especially in leadership roles. This week, I'm airing an interview of somebody who took a leadership position in several HBCU bands, even serving as the head director of two of them. I'm going to talk with Dr. Tamisha Price-Brock, and I went through when I was editing this, and I just took a post-it note and jotted down like all the HBCUs she's been affiliated with, and I counted one, two, three, four, five, six. I have six here. She went through a really unorthodox and unconventional path, as she said, to get to these positions. So, you know, it was really cool just learning more about her. So here is my interview with Dr. Tamisha Price-Brock. I am here with Dr. Tamisha Price-Brock. You know, I wanted to have her on here because I wanted to get the angle of somebody, a woman who was an HBCU band director. I hope to have some more on the podcast, but you are the first, so welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. All right. So we're going to dive right into it just so we can find out a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. So... Um, why don't you tell me about, like, where was your hometown? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Carrollton, Virginia, which is a small little town in Isle of Wight County. It's about maybe 20 minutes from Newport News in the Tidewater area. So I'm um, still that 757 area. Of course, back then it was still the 804 area code. Oh, yeah. You know, I know because, you know, we're from the same area. I I actually am recording this from my parents' house. I'm there for the holidays. So I'm glad that we could we could do this. All right. So you're from Carrollton, Virginia. And so tell me about when did you first start playing an instrument and what, what was that instrument? Well, I was um, in the fourth grade. I started playing clarinet um, at Smithville Elementary Schools, now Smithville Middle School. I chose the clarinet, one, because my mom said it was the cheapest to purchase, but I also (laughs) had a cousin who was a middle school band director at the time who played clarinet. So just, you know, looking up to her and wanting to play the same instrument she played made it easy for me to choose clarinet. Okay, good, good. So your high school, where'd you go to high school? I started school at Warwick High School in Newport News, Virginia. Um, I did two years there. Of course, some things happened, you know, with my family dynamic where um, my mom decided to move us back to Smithville so that my brother would have a better transition of starting and completing the same high school. She thought it would be easier for me to be the one to transition. So we made a deal that if I had to transfer back that I wanted to skip a grade because I was tired of high school. And in my family, of course, I knew dropping out wasn't an option. So I was ready to go to college. So I went to summer school that summer, took night school and day school at the same time in 12th grade and was able to graduate a year early from Smithville High School. I just had no desire to move back across the water. Um, I enjoyed my time at Warwick High School, was active in the band there, but I'm thankful that I had both the core style and the high stepping experience before college because it just made it easier for me to transition into Virginia State University later. Okay, good. Yeah. So you're stealing my thunder a little bit because I was going to get into that. You know, I always ask people, like, did they have a core style high school band? And was it like an easy or hard transition to go to from a, a core style band to an HBCU? I mean, I know about the area because it's my hometown, but tell the people kind of about like Warwick High School and what kind of things you did. 
Well, of course, you know, Warwick High School, um, both Newport News Public Schools and Hampton Public Schools at the time were prim primarily core style programs. Um, of course, in Newport News, we had, it was three or four high schools at the time, Warwick, it was still Ferguson before they closed it down, Minchville High School and Denby High School. But of course, during the transition, um, right before I transferred, they had built Heritage High School and Woodside High School, and they decided to have magnet schools, which were like, um, Woodside was a performing arts academy, Heritage was the engineering academy. I started the program in the IB program, but when I found out you had to stay for five years and I was ready to get out of school, I decided to drop down to the um, advanced placement program and, and college prep program. But um, I found that my course style experience was a lot harder than the high stepping experience when I transferred to Smithville. But I had a dynamic band director, uh, Mr. Edward McClellan. He was a James Madison University grad. He's Dr. McClellan now, but um, it was just a big family atmosphere. Taught me a lot about leadership, taught me a lot about time management. Very big school. Um, we had a decent sports team. Of course, I went to school with Michael Vick um, mm -hmm. and a couple of other um, you know, a couple of other prominent people from that time. Me and Michael Vick had a chemistry class together. So that was very interesting. But, you know, just growing up in that area, going to work high school, I learned a lot. And I, it was there that I decided I knew I wanted to be a band director later. Tell me about why you chose Virginia State for your undergraduate institution and then kind of talk about why you wanted to be a music major. Well, it's very interesting, one, because I had no idea that Virginia State University existed, let alone that it was an HBCU. Really? I was very, I was very limited oh. in my knowledge of some of the HBCUs in the area at the time. I had applied for the Native American Scholarship, um, which would have been a full ride to go to Anthony University, um, being able to prove that you had an ancestor on 10 type, which I did, or mm -hmm. just being able to prove your Native American heritage. So I was bred to go to Hampton, was getting ready to audition for Barney Smart, and I was getting ready to go to Norfolk, you know. I was looking at Norfolk as well. That's when Dr. Sanford first got there. But I knew the program from Professor Emery Fears, who was, uh, I think they call him Chief. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew the program just by watching him over the years and had a chance to go to First View, was going to audition, but then my high school band director was like, well, come take a ride with me. I want you to audition for Virginia State. I said, where is that? I'm thinking UVA the whole time. But then, okay, she's like, no, we're going to Virginia State. It's in Petersburg. Went up there. The campus was beautiful. It was just a city within itself. Um, and then just meeting Mr. Houghton, being able to audition for him, it just allowed me the opportunity to just see what my future could be. He allowed me, and it wasn't the audition itself that made me confirm my decision to go there. It was the fact that he allowed me to sit in on their concert band rehearsal. And I had my bass clarinet, my clarinet with me. So of course, my second year, of course, is bass clarinet. That's, I spent a lot of time on that instrument. But just allowing me to just sit in and just be a college student for a day. I'm like, yeah, I went home and said, I'm going to Virginia State. My mom was like, where? So, but, um, <laughs> but um, she definitely, when she thought about it, she was like, Virginia State. She was like, they're orange and blue. I said, yeah. She was like, you know, your grandmother went to that school. I'm like, really? And nobody told me. So it was a history, you know, history lesson and just an eye-opening experience for me and probably the best decision I could have ever made. I attended Virginia State on a full academic and a full music scholarship as well. Wow, that's awesome. It's great to get school paid for. So, Indeed. you know, <laughs> so let's talk about your first camp marching, you know, for Virginia State. Was it a steep learning curve? 
for the concept of marching, no, um, because I had that year at Smithville High School that kind of prepared me. And now knowing what I know that my high school band director was a Virginia State grad, she kind of prepped us for that. Just, you know, not, she didn't imitate the style, but she prepped us for what to expect if we chose to go to Virginia State University. I think the hardest thing for me was the time management, the scheduling, the rigors of band camp, um, and just the rigors of, oh, now, you know, I was used to memorizing music even from my days at Warwick, but now I have to learn how much music and how much time and march and dance to this. So that was, you know, that was a challenging thing for me. But I really, you know, I consider myself to be a fast learner, but I just had to put in the time. I think I stayed in the practice rooms day in and day out, you know, before practice, after practice was over. I sacrificed a lot of my lunch break. So I heard if it ate fast, I could get back to the practice room. It was just a really fast learning curve being that we had with two weeks of band camp and our very first performance was Labor Day weekend. It was supposed to be against Norfolk State. Unfortunately, we had a hurricane to come through that same weekend, which canceled our performance that year. This was fall 1998. And so our very first performance happened to be the following week on the road at the Chicago Football Classic versus Alcorn State University. So me being a freshman, in a CIAA school, we had about maybe 64 to 80 members that year, my freshman year, you know, so we weren't the Virginia State that um, we were a great program, but we weren't the large program that we were known for by the time I graduated. But going against Alcorn State from the SWAT, not seeing that many people in the same uniform ever outside of like James Madison University, it was like, who are these people, you know, but it was a um, very enjoyable trip, you know, my first time in Chicago, my first time, you know, Grant Park and Soldier Field, but just getting on the chart of us traveling that far with band people and just doing what we love. That was just the most amazing thing ever. That's good. All right. So in addition to that, that game you played against Alcorn, can you talk to me about some of the more memorable matchups that you've had through the years of you, of you marching there? And like freshman year was great. Um, it was an introductory year. We had a lot of a lot of great time. It wasn't a way season for us. So I really didn't get a chance to learn a lot about like people that come to our games until the next season. Very next season, um, I had an amazing section leader um, in the clarinet section, Keisha Anderson. And we've always had some very strong clarinet players, but she was a senior the following year. So I became section leader that year and maintained that position until I stopped marching with the program three years later. But it was just, an all-around tight-knit family, Mr. Houghton, Mr. Holden, Dr. Phillips, Reverend Bullock, all of them, they ran the program as a family. So you didn't just learn musical growth there. You learn life skills. You learn people skills. You learn how to be a productive citizen. You learn how to interact with others. And you just learn all-around good character. One thing I will say, you know, this shit, you know, everyone talks about band culture and just treating everyone equally. I can honestly say, you know, with conviction, you know, that we went through that program and we didn't we didn't have the crabbing program and we didn't have this that and the other we just had hey if you were good enough for this audition you have a scholarship that's proof that's all the proof we need for you to be a part of this family all we ask is that you come ready to work come prepared and do your part in this program everybody's important because we went from 64 people freshman year to 128 people which was mr Harden's magic number for that program like if we can get the 128 we, we have arrived so we went to we were at 128 by the year 2000 
So that yeah. was really good. Um, and of course, I marched pre-Honda days. So by the time Honda came around and by the time Virginia State got the bid to go to the Honda, mm -hmm. I was graduated, married, and teaching. So I'm like, no, I'm done. <laughs> so, <laughs> Funny. You know, Mr. Houghton, I know he runs a tight ship. He, he ran a tight program at Virginia State. And I know that he was a clarinet player, too. That was his main instrument. Am I right? Yes, his main instrument is clarinet. He okay. was my clarinet applied professor while I was there. Um, so I, I had a privilege of studying under him. We had another clarinet professor there too, but I'm so thankful that I was able to study under Mr. Harden. But he also plays flute, um, dynamic flautist. Um, and of course, he's a, he's a great vocalist as well. Okay, okay. I didn't know he could sing. Oh, wow. But that doesn't surprise me now that you said it. Um, so, you know, you matriculate through Virginia State, you graduate, and what's your what's your first job afterwards? Were you a high school director, middle school, elementary? So I was unconventional. Everything about my life is always unorthodox or unconventional. So of course, you know, I started school at age three, graduated high school at age 16. And when it came time for me to graduate, of course, I passed the practice exams and stuff like that. Passed practice one on my first try, passed practice two after two tries. But the second try, um, it was just that some of the questions on the test when the practice first came out were not taught in the classrooms. I had to dig for this stuff on websites. But my first teaching position was actually my student teaching position. I went down to take the paperwork for a student teaching signature to get approved to teach at that school. And they offered me a full-time contract because they needed an elementary music teacher. So I became the itinerant elementary music teacher for Sussex County Public Schools, which meant that I traveled and taught at all three elementary schools in the district. So mm -hmm. living in Petersburg, I drive an hour down to the first school. From the first school to the second school was, an, was about 45 minutes. From the second school to the third school was about 30 minutes or so. So my entire commute, depending on which days of the week I taught at those schools, it would be maybe a three hour, four hour round trip by the time I was done with everything. Oh my um, gosh. Right. And I also served as the assistant band director at Sussex Central High School for that year as well. Under um, the band director at the time was Stacey Tyler. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it was, it was a really good, um, experience and I'm thankful that, you know, I had that experience the following year though, just looking at my family dynamic, I had my daughter during this time as well. And it wasn't a, um, a pleasant experience. And when I had her, I was hospitalized for four months. So after that, and just still living in Petersburg, just looking at my family dynamics and just the need for to be at one school and to be in one area, I chose to move on and I went on to teach at Suffolk Public Schools. That was my first high school band director gig um, at Lakeland High School in Suffolk, Virginia. Oh, okay. And and when you were the director there, like how how big was that band on average? Um, when I inherited the program, they had maybe like uh, 40 to 60 people in the band. So we had, we averaged about 80 to 96 people. Um, when I taught at Lakeland High School, I was under uh, Mr. Thomas Whitley, principal there. And when I got there, the program was a core style program. He wanted to shift it to a high stepping program, which is fine. Um, so I did that, but I would have been fine teaching the program either way, because I had experience in both. But, you know, we had, you know, we won some awards, we did some traveling, and that experience opened me up some, for some other possibilities later on. I stayed there in that district for about two years, very active in the district, like with all county band, district band, and things like that, had some students to participate and make those ensembles. And from there, I transitioned to Timmonsville High School in South Carolina, and then I came back to Virginia 
and taught at Surrey County High School in Surrey, Virginia. Each of those positions, I did two-year stints um, before transitioning to the college level. And of course, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, just I took a leap of faith, stepped out, got an interesting position at Marie G. Davis Military Global Leadership Academy, where I taught middle and high school course of all things, grades six through 12. While I liked the school, loved the administration, I did not like teaching in Charlotte Public Schools because they offered me a part-time position and was supposed to assign me another school and never did. So to supplement my time, I served as the assistant band director at Livingstone College. Um, under Sydney Sessoms. He had been a longtime mentor of mine, longtime friend of mine. And just when I got close enough to be close enough to his school, he gave me the opportunity and opened some doors for me. It is that experience that catapulted my college career. We played against Elizabeth City State University at the Downies Classic. Mm -hmm. And from there, the chancellor at the time was Willie Gilchrist. His son was in the tuba section under my husband's leadership at Elizabeth City when, um, when they were in school together. And just looking at the band and a contact to the school was how I ended up going to Elizabeth City State University in December of 2011. Okay, so let me make sure that I have this right. So you're teaching in Charlotte, and then Sydney Sessoms invites you to be like an assistant there in Livingstone, right? Yes. And then from there, you kind of got experience on the college level. And then when your husband, your husband was already the band director at Elizabeth City or... No, he was, um, when he was in college, he was a, he's a graduate of Elizabeth City. So when he was a tuba section leader there, the chancellor's son marched in that, in that same tuba section. Oh, so he was, okay. he was his son's um, section leader in college. And just, um, so that, you know, I guess that type of connection, um, his father was talking about how we were at Livingstone and we were, you know, doing some good things with Sydney Sessions at Livingstone. And I guess seeing that they wanted to change at Elizabeth City, the program was great, you know, but for whatever reason they wanted to change at Elizabeth City. I just know that I was in a parking lot in Charlotte at the business office, getting my business license for um, the business that I own now. And I got a phone call saying, you need to call this number. I said, well, whose number is this? It was like, this is the chancellor at Elizabeth City State University. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to call. Like, what's going on? <laughs> so I called and he was like, um, I'm looking for Tamisha Brock. I said, this is she. He was like, how would you like to be the next band director at Elizabeth City State University? I said, stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was like, um, I'm dead serious. I've been looking for you for two weeks. I said, oh, okay, what do I need to do? He was like, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z, go fill out this application, do this, go online, and I need you to be here for an interview. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's basically how it went. So again, unorthodox, but I'm thankful that I met the qualifications, having an advanced degree, having that master's from Norfolk State, and then having a teaching experience and then having the desire to do it, I'm thankful that even though, you know, it was unorthodox the way I got the first position, I proved that I was worthy of that position with my qualifications, with my educational experience. And then, of course, later with the product that we produced at Elizabeth City. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So when you became director at Elizabeth City, I know you weren't the first female HBCU director, but you were one of the first, definitely, right? 
Uh, yes. Um, well, I was I was the second female director at Elizabeth City. The first one was, I believe her name was Edna Cook or Esther Cook. She was back in the 1950s. But no, I definitely wasn't the first in all. There have been many before me. Some were still try trying to chronicle the history of. Um, Rhonda Harper was at Lincoln University at the time in Missouri. Then you had Robin Reeves, who was yes. the first in the CIAA. She was at North Carolina Central. So she was definitely the first in the conference. Um, and then, of course, you had some that were in the SWAC but of course they weren't documented but they were in head positions and some of that information is starting to come out now but I was one of the first I guess people that were known to people I was probably the third in the head position but you know Stephanie Sanders has been around for a very long time mm -hmm. from Alcorn State to I believe she may have been down at Prairie for a little while I'm not sure but then of course Norfolk State so you know very prominent during that time um, as well so it was still very few and far between and rare to have a female on on the college level at the time that I was there. Okay, okay. Tell me a little bit about maybe some of the hardships you've gone through. Like, did you get any flack? Were you not taken seriously because you were a woman during this role? I did not get any flack coming in from this. You know, there was some like tension from the students at first, but it wasn't necessarily because of my qualifications, but it was how I, I obtained the position, how the other directors, um, you know, were released or whatever but you know we quickly worked through that i think the only outside the funniest thing was a couple of people had wrote to the unc board of directors whatever about my position trying to oust me but when they found out and it was just simply because i wasn't an alum of elizabeth city state university but the crazy thing is the very person that wrote the letter was also trying to be on my staff as my percussion instructor and i'm like there's no way there's no way like and you know sometimes they say keep your friends close and your enemies closer and i know this person for a very long time but you know i'm all about you know just working very smart and strategically and just handling things with tact even if others don't but other than that you know facing it no i went in with a plan I stuck with that plan. I was very careful, you know, just to be careful about how I rocked the boat. So I retained a lot of the staff that was there. My staff um, was primarily made up of ECSU alums. And then I brought in my own arranger. And then I retained a lot of the staff that had been working with the program because I'm like, hey, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know. But it could have been, it was the best arrangement, you know, that we could have done. We had a great working relationship. Yeah, we had some ups and downs, had to shift out some, you know, some coordinators from time to time. But everyone that's ever touched or worked with that program has always had the best interests of those students at heart. And we were just able to work and just they, the staff bought into the vision, the students bought into the vision, the alumni bought into the vision on a huge scale. We were able to get brand new uniforms my second year there. I remember speaking at the Chancellor's Breakfast during the CIAA tournament and within two hours, they had launched a major campaign and they had raised from that campaign. And then maybe two months later after that, we had raised the $460,000 we needed for those scholarships. I mean, for those that uniforms. Is, that's awesome. Yes. And so in honor of those alum who gave and those supporters who gave, friends of the university who gave, each of the uniforms at Elizabeth City that we ordered that year, they were adorned with a patch on their right shoulder that represents that sponsor or if they're anonymous or represents their business or in memory of someone they wanted to dedicate, just like, you know, if you do dedication bricks at your university, we mm -hmm. did that with our uniforms. So I, I met some resistance, but not, you know, typically the resistance people would have expected me to, to face, mm -hmm. because I think I came in there bold, I came in there with a plan, and I came in there with a no-nonsense attitude. Right. Okay. Okay, good. So after 
Elizabeth City State, you went you went to Mississippi Valley for a little bit, right? I did. I went down to Mississippi Valley State University, spent a year there. Honestly, wish I had stayed there um, longer. Um, it was probably, again, I've had some wonderful experiences. Elizabeth City State was definitely a family to always, you know, always be my first family, you know, my first professional family, major family, I guess. And we, I, I'm still connected with a lot of those students today, and they're still connected with each other, which is, again, the way Mr. Hart ran his pro program at Virginia State, I ran my program the same way, family type atmosphere, and that family is still together, you know, um, but I went to Mississippi Valley, one of the most beautiful campuses you could ever go to, it's like a diamond in the rough, you know, mm -hmm. they, they're like in the prime location to just have optimal recruitment, and it's going to get there, right in the heart of the Mississippi Delta, um, beautiful campus, again, like a city within itself, one of the best administrations I ever worked for in my life, I mean, that truly cared for the students, even now to the cafeteria staff, you know, everyone cared for those students. The campus was definitely run by the band, <laughs> definitely <laughs> run by the band, um, and just had a lot of respect from sports, athletics. That was the first time I think I'd ever seen, and we had this at Elizabeth City too, but this was the first time I'd ever seen when the band marches down to the stadium and gets ready to cross the threshold of the gates, the announcer stops everyone in the stadium and announces the band. You have to stop everything you're doing for the band to come in. And that that amazed me. Wow. Um, driving on campus for the first time and seeing that you have billboards up, huge life-size billboards on the side of the building representing the band. You know, you had athletic, athletics represented too, but I had never seen anything like that in my life to have a school that truly supported the arts, the band, the choir, you know, um, it was just a great experience. Um, I absolutely loved, you know, working with the Mean Green March Machine, uh, working with Kenneth Milton, and just that entire atmosphere was just a really good atmosphere. Those students there, um, I still talk to a lot of them to this day. Everybody's doing well. And just no matter what program I've been a part of, they've always been a part of my family too and have welcomed my family in. Um, my daughter has so many honorary brothers and sisters, it's insane. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I, I spent a year there and served on the provost's assessment committee, assessment coordinator for the music ed program. I served as, I taught a lot of the music education courses, secondary ed courses as well, but it was really good. And during my time there, of course, we got new uniforms at Elizabeth City, but I was able to help uh, Mississippi Valley get new instruments through Tempest Musical Instruments. So some good things, good things happening at that school. And so you have been you've been all around the country now. Now you're on now you're on the West Coast, right? I'm, I'm grazing the West Coast. So okay. So of course, you know, I left I left Valley and went to Clark Atlanta for a year, and left Clark Atlanta and went to the West Coast for the first time, where I was able to teach at the legendary Garfield High School, which is where Quincy Jones and Jimi Hendrix went to school, and wow. Macklemore, and to, mm -hmm. to just be there and know that Quincy Jones was still associated with that school. Um, by the time I left, I left Garfield mid mid year because that was the same year that my husband passed away so mm -hmm. I dropped everything and moved back to the east coast after he passed but when I left Quincy Jones was in the, in the middle of donating I think another 25 grand or more to the school for, uh, for a second recording studio at the school so this is a high school with two professional recording studios so that was insane but came back to North Carolina taught at University of Mount Olive for a year they right-sized the school and kind of diminished some of the programs there. And so now I'm back out on the West Coast. I'm currently in the Las Vegas area 
and I decided to go back to the high school level so that I could focus more on my business and be free to help all HBCUs with like professional development and practice tutoring and just helping to revamp music degree programs. So right now I'm teaching at an international baccalaureate high school in the suburbs of Las Vegas. Okay, so yeah, give your your business a shout out. What's the name of it? And like, how can people get in contact and you do like kind of like professional development things when it comes to HBCU bands? Yes, uh, Prodigious Music Concepts LLC is, uh, we offer comprehensive music instruction, educational consulting, and professional development services for music educators and music majors on the K-12 level and in higher education. Um, Right now, my major push right now is using the push from my dissertation, which was focused on the Praxis to examine Black teacher candidates, to using that to help revamp our music degree programs and making sure that our programs are comprehensive, relevant, and producing quality graduates that are fully certified when they come out of school. So doing a lot of that, a lot of push with professional development for K-12 educators from anything from helping novice teachers with classroom management and assessment to helping experienced teachers um, learn how to teach on the online platform because of COVID. So we offer a variety of things. My business partner also does um, podcasts. We have several subsidiaries with our company. One is the HBCU Drumline Talk. Um, We also have the Rhythm and Reading Literacy Program, which combines kids' books with percussion music to help promote um, music literacy and an enjoyment of reading. And then we do um, several other blobs and services for teachers and students. That is awesome. See you, band director and businesswoman. I can appreciate that. <laughs> yes, and I know you're, you're highly successful as well. I've been following you for many years, and it's just amazing just um, the type of consulting work that you do, you know, and just how you, you know, inspire and motivate and, you know, definitely enhance the lives of others. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. I have one last question for you. If you want to leave like any parting words, if you have any advice for somebody that is thinking about an HBCU band, or maybe you want to talk about how your experiences have made you who you are. Um, Yes, for anyone, I will say the HBCU experience is like no other is one that I definitely promote. Um, No matter what institution I work for, even when I worked at University of Mount Olive, I will always recruit and advocate for HBCUs. You're learning about your culture, you're learning about yourself, you're getting a quality education that is comparable to none. It is definitely one where, you know, you can make you can make it no matter what path you're on. I would say be determined. You know, especially if you're going into an HBCU band program, be determined, be dedicated, but learn all you can. Soak it all up. Ask questions. Don't just be a number. Don't just go through the motions. Make sure that you make it, you know, make it something for yourself. Make it reality for you. As far as being a woman, especially those who may be aspiring to be, you know, band directors or even college level band directors, you know, go for your goals, you know, aim for the stars. It can be done is is more commonplace now you're starting to see more women a lot of my sisters now are hbcu band directors are prominent band directors across the country and we're growing so take you know step out on that leap of faith it's still a man's industry but is you know you can navigate that industry with a lot of success and you could definitely transform lives um they need us you know they need more of the female perspective in this industry and just in general so just whatever it is whether it's a stem major whether it's the arts or something like that or whether it's business i would definitely say just aim aim high and keep striving 
You have listened to the HBCU Band Experience with Christy Walker. Interviews and editing conducted by yours truly, Dr. Christy Walker. The music is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. And you can find this podcast on hbcubandexperience.podbean.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Take care.